Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. My name is Pat Iyer. I have with me Lakeisha Falwell. The topic of our podcast today is something that strikes fear into the hearts of patients, and that is being diagnosed with cancer. Lakeisha works in the area as a board-certified nurse practitioner with a focus on oncology. In fact, she has a special certification as an advanced oncology certified nurse practitioner. This is her area of passion. And in addition, she works in the field of legal nurse consulting as the owner of a company called Next Level Nurse Consulting, where she provides some critical insights on oncology cases, both as a behind the scenes expert and as a testifying expert. Lakeisha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today, Pat. I really appreciate it. Definitely excited to speak to you a little bit more about my passion, which is oncology, um, and some of the things that I see in reviewing cases as a legal nurse consultant. So thank you. You're welcome. One of the scenarios that I think is most distressing for patients and for legal practitioners and LNCs is cases in which there was a delay in diagnosis of cancer. And we know that that can affect all kinds of patients and different types of cancers. I was just reading People Magazine yesterday in which a a woman was describing feeling a lump and going to her family practice doctor and being dismissed, a, a breast lump. And then by the time the lump was definitively biopsied, it had spread into her lymph nodes. That scenario is still all too common in women's minds and in the healthcare community, which leads me to ask you, what are some of the common delays in diagnosis, the failure to diagnose or the delay in diagnosis? Sure. So the delay in diagnosis can definitely happen quite frequently, as you said. Breast cancer is something that we see very commonly, sometimes patients presenting with a lump in the breast, um, that sometimes there is a delay in getting mammograms, ultrasounds, future imaging um, to diagnose, to get the definitive diagnosis. Other cancers that I see quite frequently um, in which diagnoses are delayed include ovarian cancer. Um, I know there's a lot of work that's being done in in the diagnosis of ovarian cancer, but unfortunately there is not great screening as of yet uh, right now. So when patients are presenting with vague symptoms such as bloating or heavier bleeding, um, sometimes just pelvic pressure, those type of things can also um, result in a delay in diagnosis. 
Um, another one that I see frequently is colorectal cancers. Um, sometimes those patients can present with just vague symptoms as well. Um, diarrhea, constipation, having feeling full very easily after eating, sometimes having abdominal pain. Um, these symptoms sometimes can present very vaguely, as I mentioned, and the providers sometimes may not um, have in mind the more ominous or more serious diagnosis of cancer that could be underlying. And those certainly define the, the delay in diagnosis. Are there any where the physician is just simply going down the wrong path and misdiagnoses the condition? Yes, absolutely. So with failure to diagnose, we see that as well very commonly. Um, that can result from a radiologist failing to, to find an abnormality on screening. Um, even though the lump is there and a patient may feel it that has diagno been diagnosed with breast cancer later on, um, sometimes the radiologists just miss it and the diagnosis is missed in the imaging. Um, as well, sometimes what can happen is providers, as you kind of mentioned, Pat, they can kind of fall in love with their first diagnosis. Um, as, as I was in nurse practitioner school, that was one thing that was really um, impressed upon my heart by my advisors was to never fall in love with your first diagnosis. Um, so sometimes just simply going down the wrong path. Um, as a patient presents with symptoms, really just thinking that the symptoms may be one diagnosis and failing to look into other, um, other reasons why a patient may present, be presenting. And unfortunately, this can lead to not ordering the correct diagnostic test, not ordering the correct blood work, um, essentially going down a path that is not the correct one to help the patient. Um, and, and oncology, another one that I see very commonly um, in more recent times that may not be discussed as frequently, is just the, simply the younger age of a patient. Um, we have in our oncology field patients that are presenting much younger um, with cancer diagnoses. So um, at times, providers can simply just be thrown off by the young age of a patient, um, maybe not considering that a 35-year-old patient could be presenting with metastatic colon cancer. Um, unfortunately, that is something that needs to be considered um, as our patients are presenting at younger ages. You know, as you say that, you bring me back to a hospital room that I was in as a new graduate taking care of a a 17-year-old boy who was a twin, his sister, was distraught. He had testicular cancer, and he was dying from it. And I was only three years older than this boy and took it particularly hard taking care of him, seeing his frailty as he stayed on our unit. He was I worked on the GU unit as a new graduate, fresh out of nursing school and watching him decline over a number of weeks and feeling horrified that somebody my age could end up dying in that way. He did die on our unit. I remember just the last day that he was alive, he picked up his arm and he looked at it and he said, oh, I've lost a lot of weight. And that was the last thing that he said. Uh, I remember feeding him a popsicle and it just pulling in his mouth and telling a more experienced registered nurse that he was not able to swallow. And she, she gave me one of those looks that I interpreted of, it's not going to be long now. And no one would tell his sister what was wrong with her brother until she kept asking, 
you know, why isn't he getting better? What's going on? And then finally they told her and then her questioning stopped. It was tragic. And I don't know the circumstances leading up to his diagnosis. I remember the scenario of being horrified that cancer could take such a young person and eliminate that individual at that young stage in life. Absolutely. I, I think from what you're you're talking about, I see this almost every day at work, um, currently practicing in oncology. Um, it's always startling at, for me as a young professional when I see patients that are close in age to me um, going through a very difficult journey and difficult battle with cancer. Um, I'm excited and interested to see where cancer care is going. I think there's a lot of great um, advancements that are being made in, in not only the diagnosis and the treatment, um, but definitely have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. You mentioned falling in love with your first diagnosis, which is a phrase I haven't heard, but I think it's apt mm -hmm. and describes our tendency to look at a set of symptoms and want to force them into a box and therefore look for other symptoms that will validate our diagnosis. Besides that, you know, what are some of the reasons behind these delay in diagnosis or failure to diagnosis or misdiagnosis of cancer conditions? Sure. So I think there's a multitude of reasons. Um, some of the reasons that I see more commonly um, is just a, simply a lack of follow-up. Um, I think right now in the post-COVID area where healthcare is truly impacted at every level, including primary care, it can be difficult sometimes to follow up patients. And when patients are presenting with symptoms and symptoms that are persistent, it's important that those symptoms are followed up on and there is a diagnosis that is captured. I think just simply the lack of follow-up um, on these patients can sometimes lead to a delay in diagnosis. These patients just, for lack of better terms, get lost to follow up or kind of fall within the cracks of our healthcare system. Another one, um, which you kind of referenced a bit earlier is simply listening to your patients. Um, I think sometimes as patients present in the healthcare setting, as a healthcare provider, our ears may be tuned into something different than what the patient is saying. I think if we take a moment and we just sit and really listen to what the patients are telling us, a lot can be learned and gained from what our patients are presenting with and what they are telling us. Um, as a provider, it's very important to not only put the pieces together in a way that makes sense to rule out different diagnoses, but as I mentioned before in my training at NYU, never falling in love with your first diagnosis. So what that means to me is developing a broad differential base. You know, if a patient is presenting with abdominal pain, could this be irritable bowel syndrome? Yes. Could this be diarrhea, constipation? Could this be food poisoning? But also, could this be colon cancer? Could this be a bowel perforation? Um, in my realm, in my specialty, I tend to lean more towards ruling out the more serious or sinister um, etiologies compared to ones that could be followed up on or ones that can evolve a little bit more slowly. Um, that is genuinely where patients' um, care can be taken care of the most and where um, we can really save patients' lives. As you were talking and, and mentioning the COVID era, it made me think about a question I wanted to be sure to ask you. In that era, I know for at least a year, my physician didn't lay hands on me. I was seeing the patient 
I was getting patient care through my computer screen. So it made me think about the individuals who ordinarily would have physical exams in their physician's office, but instead had a chance to talk, but not to be touched. For probably at least a year, we went through that. From your perception being in the oncology field, is there concern that there were or there will be delays in diagnosis of cancer because of the inability to examine patients? I think that's a great question. And I definitely foresee that, unfortunately, being the case in the future. With our oncology patients, um, even before they're presenting or before they have a diagnosis, there's sometimes symptoms that they're presenting with. So I think the problem is impacted very early on from primary care settings, as I mentioned before, not getting in to see providers. But then once there is something that is suspicious that's picked up, whether it's something that's seen or felt by a patient, getting them in to see a provider. Um, and like you mentioned, um, virtual health and telehealth has really helped us to be able to see our patients and provide care um, while keeping one another safe during the COVID era. But in certain populations, it's become very difficult to really completely and fully comprehensively um, assess patients. So in the oncology world, it's very difficult to get an accurate blood pressure, to be looking for signs and symptoms of fluid or edema that may be in lower extremities, um, to be able to listen to heart and lung sounds. Um, you're just not able to be able to, you're just not able to do those things um, virtually. So being able to see and touch a patient, there's things that you can see and there's things that you you can feel. Um, and there's also things that you can follow up on. There's lines of questioning in which you can go down when there's symptoms that arise that are more concerning or worrisome for you that you may not have been able to pick up on via video visit. Um, I also see some of our patients being delayed to get biopsies um, just from the lack of availability of those type of services. So I definitely feel that there will be, unfortunately, some delays in diagnoses and unfortunately, which will result more than likely in um, more advanced cancers being diagnosed. And then from the standpoint of liability, with the delays that you're describing and the, the question that plaintiff attorneys have in particular is, did the provider do everything possible to recognize this problem? Were there factors beyond the provider's control that influenced the delay in diagnosis? Is the provider using that as an excuse? And it could have been a condition that should have been diagnosed earlier. I'm curious as to how that's gonna play out as plaintiff attorneys go through the process with their legal nurse consultants of deciding whether these are valid cases. Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. Introducing Expert Edu, the revolutionary mobile app designed exclusively for legal nurse consultants. Are you tired of being tied to your desktop, waiting for your laptop to boot up, and struggling with slow Wi-Fi connections? Those days are over. I'm Pat Iyer, the developer of Expert Edu. With my app, you can now carry your favorite legal nurse consulting content right in the palm of your hand. No more lugging around heavy laptops or dealing with cumbersome URLs and login processes. It's time to take your learning on the go. 
what can you expect from Expert Edu? Let's take a closer look. First, we have Legal Nurse Podcasts, where you can immerse yourself in informative and intriguing discussions on various legal nurse topics. Listen and learn during your daily commute or while enjoying a leisurely stroll in the park. Watch our video or listen to the audio version. Looking for insightful articles and thought-provoking content? Our app brings you a collection of blogs written by me, ensuring that you develop deep knowledge of marketing, finance, client relationships, business development, and LNC expertise. The app also lets you connect with our trusted partners and resources to expand your business capabilities and help you shine. Do you need a more visual approach to learning? We've got you covered with a library of educational videos. Best of all, Expert Edu also provides access to a treasure trove of free resources, including templates, guides, and reference materials that will be invaluable to you in your legal nurse consulting practice. Are you ready to experience the convenience and power of Expert Edu? Don't wait another moment. Download the Expert Edu app today from the Apple App Store for iPhone or Google Play for Android and take your legal nurse consulting career to the next level. Expert Edu is your legal nurse consulting content always within reach. Now let's return to the show. Absolutely. And I think it will, will be very interesting. And as we learn reviewing cases, each case I'm, I'm sure will be very unique in terms of circumstances, availability of resources, et cetera. Um, from my experience, I think timing is very important. Um, that is an element that really comes up in delay of diagnosis. Um, so when the patient first presented, um, how long did it take for that patient to have any follow-ups, to be seen, to have diagnostic imaging? Um, that may be um, a factor that weighs heavily for plaintiff attorneys in really determining the liability um, in those situations. And shifting focus a little bit on the quality of care, I know that you have seen changes in the oncology field and the time you've been in practice, I've seen them my hair is a little bit grayer than yours are, so I've seen them longer. The diagnosis of cancer used to be absolutely um, a death knoll, mm -hmm. a horrible quality of existence. The, the decision of whether or not to go through the horrors of chemotherapy or to allow the disease to take its course I remember shortly after we moved into the first house that we had after we got married, I met a neighbor who had an abdominal cancer. I think she had a colon cancer and she was a nurse and she made the decision that she did not want to go through chemotherapy. Her surgery wasn't going to be able to cure this. And she literally faded away in front of my eyes. And I thought at the time, would I make that same decision if I had the opportunity to fight a tumor versus not want to deal with the side effects of chemotherapy? Can you tell us now, 
is it still an absolute horror show of getting the kind of treatment that we're talking about? Or have we made improvements in how we manage patients' symptoms when they're going through chemotherapy specifically? We have made great advancements in improving the quality of life of patients. Um, before, I, the, the focus and the emphasis has really always been on curative intent and treatments that will sustain patients' life and prolong their lives. That's definitely still a focus and applies to a lot of patients, but what's become um, a highlight and more of an important factor in oncology care is quality of life of patients. And that's the quality of life of all of our patients, those that are early stage, those that are advanced stage, those that are metastatic. Um, and what's important for me as a provider is to always check with my patients to find out what that means to them. Quality of life is going to mean something different. If you ask five different patients, it could mean five different things. Um, so I always find it important to find out what are the priorities that my patient has? Is it a priority to get to work at least two to three days a week? Is it a priority for them to live pain-free or as close to pain-free? is a priority for them to get to their grandchild's graduation. Um, I don't make promises to my patients that I cannot meet, um, but I always do promise to my patients that we will work together to try to meet their goals. Um, some of our patients as well, being in oncology, there are a lot of symptoms that they have to deal with. Um, palliative care is very, very big in the oncology um, spectrum and specialty. Things like nausea, vomiting, um, pain, having difficulty breathing, having anxiety. Um, and those are things that can greatly impact quality of life of patients. Um, sometimes those are the factors that we have to focus on treating and managing even more than side effects that you would think you would have from treatment directly. Um, so really focusing in on what is important to the patient is very key. Um, and that way as a provider, it can really key us in and hone us in and to what resources we need to provide these patients um, whether it's community resources, whether it's additional pain medication, whether it is a specialized support group or um, support referral system for this patients. Um, it can really help us to understand our patients and to treat them more effectively for their specific needs. So I think palliative care and improving the quality of life of patients is extremely important um, and something we really need to focus on a lot more. And I think that there's a lot more focus in recent years on it within oncology. It's encouraging because I think that's one of the aspects of hearing a diagnosis that you have cancer that immediately comes to mind is, am I going to suffer? Am I going to be in unbearable pain? Am I going to not be able to hold any food down and waste away? Or am I going to have complications? And, and I know that there are common ones that you see that even further impact the quality of life. What are some of the issues that can come up while a patient is experiencing the diagnosis of cancer? Within oncology and within having a cancer diagnosis, I always like to think the opportunities and the possibilities are truly endless. I think that is in meeting your patient and treating them, but also in things that can go awry. 
Um, so educating patients is very key. Um, it can be difficult at times because the, the list of complications can be numerous and many, um, but there are some that we see more frequently than others. Um, for, for me, uh, one of the main uh, complications or issues that we like to educate patients on is lower blood counts. Um, things like neutropenia um, or having a lower white blood cell count is an anticipated side effect of many chemotherapy treatments, um, but it can be very dangerous if a patient has other symptoms that may indicate fever or other signs and symptoms of infection. Um, we call it neutropenic fever, and that is an oncologic emergency. Um, essentially, patients can present and they can have symptoms of an infection, but they don't have the, the, the strength within their immune system to fight that infection. So the infection can really progress quite quickly um, to a bloodstream infection, and it can be life-threatening. So neutropenia and a lower white blood cell count is one thing we are always educating our patients on. Um, things like hair loss. Um, I know that it may not be a medical um, side effect or complication that can be challenging to manage um, or cause any potential issues um, medically, but hair loss is something that patients experience um, that can be quite devastating. Um, so kind of looking back a little bit to quality of life, you know, losing your hair, having a different visual identity or a different presence when you're in a different room can really um, be a really difficult experience for patients. Um, many of my patients continue to work full time um, and they choose to disclose their health issues um, as they will with their coworkers and with their family. So the all telltale sign that you're losing your hair is usually an indication that something is going on. And that can be quite difficult for patients because it's it's not a choice that they have of when they lose their hair. Um, and it's, as I said, something that other people can see. Um, there's also other surgeries sometimes that can have to happen um, as patients experience bowel obstructions, bowel perforations, um, meaning that the bowels are blocked and, you know, stool and other excrements are not able to easily pass through. Um, sometimes there are adhesions or the intestines can kind of stick together after surgeries. And sometimes this can cause quite a bit of symptoms for patients and it can lead to additional surgeries. Um, unfortunately, some patients do have to have ostomies, so colostomies, a bag that they would have outside of their body that would collect um, bowel movements. Um, and those surgeries sometimes are not small. They sometimes involve a lot of time, a lot of energy and recovery. And again, leading back to body image changes, how patients feel, how patients look and how they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, Pain is also um, very, very um, commonly seen on oncology, um, not only pain from tumors that may be pressing or impinging on bones, on the spinal cord, um, fluid or edema that can um, cause pain in a different parts of the body. And sometimes it can be difficult to manage. It's not your typical pain um, that you would have like a backache or um, an arm pain. These are deeper visceral pains, and sometimes it takes quite a few medications to manage it effectively to where patients can be comfortable. Um, as well, uh, fatigue. I know sometimes just really trying to let our patients know that fatigue or just feeling like you're not at your optimal strength or your optimal output um, is something we see very commonly in oncology, both with treatment and just as cancer progresses. 
And this can be quite debilitating for patients um, who want to lead an active life, who want to continue to work out, who want to continue to take those walks with their spouses. So really helping them to use their time when they feel the best, um, optimize that time, um, getting rest when they are able to, and enjoying the time in which they, they feel up to doing the things that they want. And lastly, I would say um, within the healthcare realm, I feel quite comfortable in a healthcare setting in clinics and in hospitals, but a lot of our patients do not. So when our patients have complications, whether it's infection, um, whether it's bowel obstructions, whether it's pericardial infusions or fluid around the heart or um, spinal cord injuries, those often lead our patients to an ER visit and into a hospitalization. And that can also be quite devastating to patients, knowing that they're going to be going to the emergency room and more than likely they're going to be admitted and they will be admitted for a lengthy part of uh, a lengthy time. Um, so really just trying to educate our patients on not only the possibilities of things that can happen, um, but to report things that happen early on so that as the providers, we can really look into it more, we can evaluate further, order additional lab work and diagnostic tests, because like anything, the earlier we can catch symptoms and complications, the better the outcome is for the patients. That's quite a list. <laughs> Makes me tired listening to that list. <laughs> and to pull back on something that you said, my next to my last question is, as legal nurse consultants and we're evaluating cases to determine if there was a delay in diagnosis, one of the factors that we have to look at is, is this a cancer that could have been curable if it had been detected at the appropriate time, whatever appropriate time means? Tell us about the cancers where we have made progress in being able to eradicate those cancers. Sure. So within oncology, there are many cancers in which we still have a lot of work to do and diagnosis and screening can be difficult, but there are a few cancers on the other side, which we've made great advancements. Um, I think breast cancer is a huge one. Um, while I was at NYU, I had the ability to work um, directly with patients um, in that setting. And just the advancements we're making, not only in screening um, and cancer, catching cancers at an earlier stage is really leading to breast cancer patients living longer, um, living without cancer and without cancer recurrence. Um, I'm sure in the near future, there will be additional advancements, not only in breast cancer treatment, but um, improvement in, in additional screenings. Prostate cancer is another one. Um, I think with the advent and the heavy, heavy utilization of PSA or the prostate-specific antigen lab test, um, that has been very helpful in um, catching prostate cancer very early on. Um, at times, um, prostate cancer has been caught simply by blood work alone and before patients develop symptoms, um, which really leads to great patient outcomes and patients being able to get the care of an earlier stage cancer versus more advanced cancers. Okay. Testicular cancer is another one. Typically, we see testicular cancer within young men, um, and that age demographic pretty much stays the same. Um, but being able to really spread education and awareness. There's been really great um, programs that have been out there to 
um, highlight the importance of testicle exams. And so for patients to be able to understand the difference in an abnormal feeling, a new mass, and the importance of recognizing that and also of speaking to a healthcare provider um, to further their care. Mm -hmm. And lastly, thyroid cancer. Um, and I think thyroid cancer has really um, improved by having effective testing and having effective physical exam maneuvers. Often when we go to our, our primary care provider or we go to other specialists, they're doing thyroid exams. So uh, often thyroid cancers are able to be detected and picked up very quickly just by physical exam, which is great. That's an exciting list. It is. And I hope that that list of curable cancers and picking up and detecting cancers earlier on um, will continue to grow. Yes. Think about all the devastation that we can avoid if we are quickly diagnosing and appropriately treating that cancer. Absolutely. I think that will continue to change the face of cancer care and hopefully we'll continue to have more survivors. Now, I know, Lakeisha, that people who are listening to this program will want to know your contact information to be able to learn more about you and the services you offer. What would be the best way for them to reach you? Sure. I can be reached on LinkedIn. I am very active there. My name, um, you can find me there, Lakeisha Falwell. The last name is F as in Frank, A-L-W-E-L-L. -L. Can also be reached via email. It's my first name, which is Lakeisha, L-A-K-E-I-S-H-A, at nextlevelnurseconsulting.com. And I also have my website. I can be reached at www.nextlevelnurseconsulting.com. Perfect, Lakeisha. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, for giving us hope, for keeping us focused on the clinical implications of the cancer plaintiffs that we may encounter as we're helping attorneys in either screening cases or summarizing medical records to explain the pain and suffering that the individual went through as a result of this diagnosis. Um, all of us in some way have been or currently touched by people in our lives with cancer. And I, I know that at least some of us will draw hope and comfort from the information that you've shared today. Thank you, Pat. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. And for our listener, be sure to go to podcast.legalnursebusiness.com and look at the podcast bundles that we have on our website. We assembled them by looking at the most downloaded podcasts in six specific categories, and then assembled four podcasts per category. When you sign up for a bundle, you'll have an opportunity to watch the video or listen to the audio, and can sign up for as many of the bundles as you wish. That is at podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. You'll see that on the homepage when you go to the website. Keep on learning, keep on expanding, keep on marketing, keep on helping your attorney clients as they work within this very interesting area of medical cases. 
and specifically for today's show, the area of diagnosing and treating cancer. Come back next week, new show, new guest, and leave your comments in the area of YouTube. If you're looking at this on Legal Nurse Business YouTube channel, we've got comments. Give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down and leave a comment. And I'll see you next week. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to take a peek into Legal Nurse Consulting in Canada. Joan Davis is joining me as a Canadian nurse who has also worked in the United States, and she highlights some of the differences, the challenges, and the opportunities of Legal Nurse Consulting in Canada. Joan, we covered a bunch of topics in your podcast. What were some of the ones that we covered with you? Thank you, Pat. We talked about the climate for medical malpractice in Canada versus the U.S. and some of the reasons for the difference. We discussed the highest known settlement in Canada and what that case was about. We talked about caps on pain and suffering in Canada. We discussed the Rule 53 and other rules of court that apply to experts. We also talked about preparing expert reports in Canada and how this is different and similar to the U.S. We also talked about some of the barriers faced by legal nurse consultants in Canada and the types of cases that LNCs are assisting attorneys with. There was a lot of territory that we covered in 30 minutes. You'll get some insights about legal nurse consulting in Canada and see the opportunities that exist for legal nurse consultants. You can watch Legal Nurse Podcast on our YouTube channel at Legal Nurse Business. You can listen to it on the audio channels of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. And you can also listen to it on our app, which is Expert Edu, that you can download from the Google Play Store or Apple Apps Store. On the app, you'll be able to get tips, videos, articles, and podcasts for Legal Nurse Podcasts. So be sure to get Expert Edu and have Legal Nurse Podcast in the palm of your hand at whenever you want to listen to it, wherever you want to listen to it. See you on our next Legal Nurse Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.